Welcome to this week's edition of the Buyers and Sellers podcast. My name is Ken Hume and I'm a property enthusiast, lover and worker. Um, my background is in real estate for the last 30 years. I currently run a company called James Alexander Estate Agents and I'm also a buy-to-let investor. Um, over the years, I've done all sorts of things such as buying and selling of houses, flats, commercial premises, managing blocks of flats, estate managing blocks of flats, and auctions. So in terms of the general property market, I've got a fairly broad experience, and I thought I'd start this podcast last week because it seems to me there's a gap in the market for buyers and sellers. And what I hope I could bring is some sanity to that and start by giving you an overview weekly of what's going on in the UK property market, both for selling and for renting, for buyers and sellers, actually, um, in order to give you an overview of where the market is now, where it might be going, what's happening nationally, and of course, what's happening locally right here. We're based in SW16, Norbury, to be precise, which is between Streatham and Croydon. So a South London, South London suburb, if you will. Um, so it's the 12th of February, 2021. And today, just generally in the news, the big news is that we have now over 12, heading for 13 million people vaccinated, which is great news. And we're seeing the figures from the pandemic drop dramatically. And we're really hopeful that we'll get out of this lockdown soon. We do see a chink of light at the end of the tunnel. I hope you do too. Uh, we've missed many, many, lost many, many friends and loved ones through this pandemic. And it seems to me that the age of those true gents, you know, people like Captain Tom and many characters locally that we love have passed. And um, if you're one of the families affected by that or you've lost friends, then you have our condolences. Now, on to, to other matters. The key thing is that we're looking to vaccinate the population and that will have an impact on the property market. And we're looking forward to reporting to you on how that goes, because, of course, against that backdrop is the fact that the deadline for stamp duty, where we have free stamp duty up to £500,000 right now for buyers, ends on the 31st of March. We also have the budget coming up on the 3rd of March. Now, we think Rishi Sunak will make an announcement regarding the stamp duty cut. And it seems the direction of travel, looking at the articles from journalists so far, because I know this is what everyone seems to be asking. I've got a lot of emails asking me to talk on this matter. And what we think so far is the direction of travel seems to be that he is likely to extend the deadline for those in existing sales that have yet to complete, but not to extend the stamp duty deadline for another year for all of us. I think that the deadline has been a fantastic boost for the market, um, but it will be a real depression on the market if it's just cut there. And I think the Chancellor knows that. He's made some smart moves so far. I suspect what he will do is taper and say, right, if you've got an existing sale and it's going through at the moment, then we'll give you an extra few months. But it remains to be seen what yardsticks that will be measured by, um, because obviously people will be looking for loopholes, of course, if you can get out of paying tax legitimately, you're going to do it. So that's that. A um, few other things in the national property news at the moment. On the industry, the help to buy deadline has been extended. The government has agreed to extend the deadline for the help to buy scheme after buyers were struck by delays because of COVID. House buyers now have until the 31st of May to take advantage of the scheme. Government says help to buy will end on 31st March 2021, but home buyers using the current scheme will have more time to complete their purchase. 
The extension applies to those already midway through the transaction and Homes England said any buyers experiencing further delays past May 31 will not be granted an extension. Developers will have to refund reservation fees in cases where the work will not be completed on time. Well, as many of you will know, I'm not a great fan of the help to buy scheme. Um, it's great to get first time buyers onto the market, but I think the government have aimed the money in the wrong direction. For me, the way to unlock the market in the general sense is that you need to release flat buyers, especially now, and we'll come onto it in a moment, the um, cladding issues we have. And now we're coming out of that and these blocks are getting there. EWS1, that's the safety certificates required in order to sell. What we need is buyers to step in and buy those so those people can move on. Well, those buyers are first-time buyers, and they're the key to unlocking the broader market on the other side of this stamp duty deadline, in my opinion. We've always found that the market starts from the bottom up. The difference this time around has been many, many people have done what we call let to buy. This means instead of selling their flats, where it's been a terribly difficult market here in London for flat owners, they've been renting their properties out. That's known as let to buy as opposed to buy to let, i.e. you're renting your own property out and your lender will ignore your income in relation to that mortgage on the basis that your rent reaches a certain level um, and therefore use your income to help you buy another house. Um, this is not mortgage advice, by the way. You need to seek independent financial advice if this is something you're considering, but that's the basic principle of let to buy. And many people have done this and, of course, that's released the market in the middle. And what we found is that the whole of the pressure of the stamp duty deadline has been around that £500,000 mark because that's where you can make your maximum saving of £15,000. Of course, the reason it hasn't impacted lower down is because first-time buyers already have zero stamp duty up to the first 350000 but where the government have got this wrong, in my view, is the big problem is first time buyers and deposits. And what they've done in the past is they've given money via the help to buy scheme to buyers buying new build only. And what this has led to is an inflationary boost for houses at the bottom where they should be cheapest, where developers realize that they've got more demand than supply. And of course, property markets all about supply and demand. And so what's happened is that the developers have increased the price of those properties, thereby negating any benefit that first time buyers would have had if they'd have bought on the second homes market. Um, yes, buying homes, new homes is a little bit like buying a new car. You can expect to pay a premium, but the premium on the help to buy market particularly is much higher than it should be. And I think that could be dealt with simply by making the help to buy scheme available to the broader market. And what we really want to see is first time buyers offered 95% mortgages and the support between the 80% that most lenders are currently offering and 95 picked up and underwritten by the government to assist people to get onto the ladder. That's the help that people really need. Um, Wales average house price tops 200,000. This reminds me of a little story we had years ago. Um, two of my biggest developers, one invested very heavily in Wales and the other in London. And the one in Wales received a very good um, rate of return in terms of the income yield. But what happened to the guy in London was that the yield was much lower, but the property prices rose so greatly 
that he ended up getting very rich by the, the capital growth. And this is interesting, and it's the two different strategies in property. On the one hand, when you're buying to let particularly, you need to decide what you want. Do you want capital growth or do you want a steady income stream? Now, for many in retirement, the steady income stream, stream will be more important than whether the property go, grows in value, whereas for a younger person, they may want capital growth. And a lot of buyers in the past have bought in central London to try and achieve that. Of course, that's changing now with the pandemic because not everyone, well, no one right now is commuting and the London market has been impacted massively. Now, whether that will change, we're certainly seeing that people are now buying in places like Wales and places they wouldn't normally buy uh, because all of a sudden they're Zoom working, working from home, telecommuting. And so things are changing. And yeah, the average house price in Wales now topping 200,000. Principality said lockdown and encouraged a race for space with people buying larger properties with bigger gardens. 18 of the 22 council areas in Wales saw record price rises in the last three months of 2020. All council areas saw an increase in prices from 2019. And the average price for a home in Wales is now £209,723. Prices rose by 8.2% in 2020, the highest rate of increase for 15 years. That's from the BBC News. Londoners dominate the second homes market. Well, this has been the way for some time because of the equity a lot of Londoners have in their property. Uh, the second homes market has largely been do dominated by them. But this is an article from The Telegraph this week saying the number of Londoners buying second homes outside the capital more than quadrupled last year compared to 2019, according to Knight Frank. Capital-based buyers dominated the second homes market, accounting for 35% of all sales outside the capital. This nearly tripled the 13% share in 2019. Overall, second home purchases jumped by 59% year on year as families have sought more space to work from home and host extended family during lockdowns. Knight Frank said coronavirus has pushed many Londoners to bring forward plans to relocate into the country. More data from Knight Frank shows that more buyers are falling in love with property on the first viewing. I'm not convinced. But I don't think they're falling in love with properties on the first viewing. I think they're feeling the sense of urgency that the deadline of stamp duty has brought and therefore bringing forward those decisions. But yeah, it's an interesting way of putting it. Uh, this is a new article come in today from the Eye and the Evening Standard, the Daily Express 2 and the Times. The government lacks data on cladding. The government does not know the true scale of the cladding safety crisis on high-rise buildings. Three years on, this is disgraceful, isn't it, to hear this after the Grenfell fire. Three years on from the Grenfell fire, the government has no complete data on how many mid-rise buildings are effective. Ministry of Housing, on behalf of the Help to Buy Administrator, Homes England, told I magazine or newspaper that it does not hold proper data on how many buildings under 18 metres are involved. The government would not say why this information had not been collected. It comes as campaigners denounce as pathetic the new taxes on house builders and developers set up by the government to help pay the cost of making safe thousands of buildings with cladding. City analysts calculated that the tax is equivalent to less than 4% of their profit. I'm glad to see that they are taxing them now. For some time, they haven't been. I've been saying for a long time, it's not the fault of the people that have bought these properties that they're clad in unsafe materials. It's the fault of the building regulations. It's the fault of the builders. And they need to be the ones that are paying. And these big builders have huge profits, these big PLCs. And they've been milking first-time buyers and the like for far too long. And now the losers in this, a lot of the time, have been young people who can ill afford it 
We need to make those developers pay. The government needs to get money behind it and support it too, because it's just not fair and equitable. And I, I hope they do. Uh, there's talk of a five billion fund. I think that's just been increased as well. It's not enough. The estimated cost is 15 billion. And we have already, there are tens of thousands of buildings up and down the UK that have already been hit by this and the leaseholders have already paid. And I wonder how that will manifest itself. You know, many will be looking for reimbursement from the government. Whether that will happen or not remains to be seen. I think in the majority of cases, they won't pay and these people will lose out. And it's a scandal and the government should be ashamed of themselves. They should have legislated on this far earlier. MJ Gleason has reported a jump in homes sold in the first half due to demand from key workers and first-time buyers. Now, the thing about Gleason is that they're affordable housing developers, so they look at the, the bottom end of the market work to jump people onto the market. And their profit before tax increased 52.6% to $20 million. It's extraordinary, isn't it? 52%. And again, it's on the back of first-time buyers and, you know, those that can ill afford it. And that's why I think we need to get hold of that and do something to the broader market. Um, what else is going on? The There are some environmental rules and some bits and pieces, but that's pretty much it in terms of the broader market. Um, there does appear to be some consensus towards rental now. We're going to move on to rental. And there's a uh, suggestion that 700,000 private tenants could be in the arrears by the end of this year. This is an unsustainable burden on agents, landlords um, and industry supplier fears. Helping Hand, a rental guarantor service, says landlords and agents are increasingly suffering because of the continuing eviction bans. This indirectly leads to many investors not only losing income from tenants, but also being risk of losing their homes because of financial pressures. Well, this is true. And of course, you know, we go, it's going to get worse before it gets better, isn't it? We know that, you know, one of the big problems we have is that uh, the gig economy in the sort of outer London areas where many young people live. And I say young people because the majority of tenants are younger, um, although not exclusively, we have tenants of all age ranges. But the gig economy where we have people working in restaurants and working for uh, companies where they can be laid off very easily has obviously been impacted disproportionately to the rest of the UK economy. And therefore, there's going to be massive pressure on people financially over the next year, regardless of what happens. I mean, you know, you can say what you like about Brexit, but the one good thing, you know, I'm not a Brexit fan, by the way, but the one good thing to come out of this is that we are vaccinating ahead of the rest of Europe. It's incredible the rate of vaccination that's going on. And now we're locking down as well, which is great to see. Um, why it didn't happen at the very beginning I, still mystifies me as an island, why we didn't lock our borders when this first started. We could have been in a position like New Zealand if we had done, but there we are. We are where we are, as they say, but it's good news to see the vaccine rollout being so successful and having done that independently of the rest of the world. I'm quite proud of what's happened there, at least. Yeah, so in terms of the rental and what we can do about that, coming on to that, um, what we've got to do, if you're a landlord and you have tenants, then you need to have discussions with them. Dialogue is the most important thing. There is government support for those that can't afford to pay their rent. There are housing allowances available to tenants. And if you're in eight weeks or more arrears or your tenants in eight weeks or more arrears, you can approach the local authority and ask them to pay you directly. And they will then 
re-divert those monies directly to you if they are claiming. If you don't know if they're claiming, then you should contact your local authority if you don't have good dialogue with your tenants. If you do, then it's sometimes the case in my experience that if you have discussions with them, they're just not aware that there is support available and you need, need to make sure that you communicate with them. I know it's difficult in the pandemic, but, you know, pick up the phone, maybe have a Zoom conversation with them. I personally think, you know, in terms of communication, there are different ways to communicate with people, but there's no substitute for face-to-face. -face. Obviously, in an ideal world, if we weren't in a pandemic, you want to be on the doorstep having a chat. Um, that's not possible now. We're doing many of our management inspections now by a Zoom-style recording, and it's still nice to be able to see people, see their reactions, get their emotions, and, you know, 50% of communication is non-verbal anyway, so being, being able to see someone's face you can show that you empathize with their position and also you can let them know what your position is. You know, for many of our landlords, that's just as tricky as the tenant's position. You know, they rely on their rent as a form of their income. If they don't get that rent, then it's possible that those landlords literally um, will not eat either. So, you know, it's not just the tenant side that is impacted by this. What we found locally is that the market has so far been surprisingly resilient. Many of our tenants asked us for a discount on their rent when they heard about the mortgage holidays uh, that landlords were getting. And it sounded very attractive, didn't it? And when we explained that those holidays involved the rolling up of interest, in other words, the landlords would be paying more later and therefore would have pressure to increase their rent later um, if they took those holidays, then tenants understood and largely where they're working or furloughed with 80% of their salary and furlough, it's pretty much equivalent to 100% if you're working for many people when you take into account commuting costs and the cost of lunches and other things that you might buy that you no longer can. You know, all those uh, little shopping trips and going out is a, a thing of the past, isn't it, for most of us at the moment. Um, so just on to something else. This week I had a call from a client who was asking about their rental property and why it wasn't renting and they asked me how we could help in terms of what they could do to get more inquiries through to their agents and I looked at the listing and there were a couple of things immediately apparent to me and the first one was this was in specifically this was a London property and the first thing that occurred to me was this property had been quoted in a weekly rent and what that meant was that it ended up at 12.96 per calendar month. Now, most tenants are searching on Rightmove and Zoopla by the month, not by the week. Agents quote weekly rents, by the way, because weekly always sounds cheaper because we have five-week months. Uh, so one week's rent is not times four. Um, and so that's why agents have traditionally quoted the lower figure to attract in the calls. Um, I've always felt that's a bit disingenuous. I prefer monthly figures, and I find most tenants understand them as well and certainly they search by them and what we discovered was in this particular case that the rental was being quoted at what came out to be 12.96 per calendar month and the problem with that figure is that it's not on what we call a zero pricing spot so in other words if you're searching on right move or zoopla a monthly rent up to 1300 it won't appear on page one because it's not at 1300 you see so in this case, I looked at it and said, well, if I were you, you know, what we're finding at the moment is with those sorts of price ranges, 50 pounds can make a massive difference. Now, you might say to me, Ken, I can't afford to drop the rent by 50 pounds. Um, but think about it this way. If you've got a rent of 1300 pounds per calendar month, you know, we're talking about a minuscule amount of days. If you leave it vacant for any longer, you'll lose more than that. 
So it's not just about, oh, I can't afford the monthly amount. It's about can you afford question to leave it vacant where you're paying the council tax now, which is no longer allowable, as many of you will have found out. And then on top of that, you've got a vacant flat and all the costs associated with that, let alone the security worries. So I'm not suggesting for one minute that you take the first tenant that comes along. In fact, I'd say the opposite. Be more cautious than ever with your tenant selection. But by the same token, do be ruthlessly competitive on rent. Uh, what we're finding is that a drop of 50 pounds can all of a sudden get the phones ringing and get commitment from tenants. We had one just this week, actually, that was on the market for 1,700 per calendar month. We had no calls on it. We're encouraging the landlord for about four weeks to come down, trying to explain that, you know, this is not working. We're not getting the calls in. People are not committing. Had a couple of viewings. He was always on the phone and anxious. Eventually, he agreed with us. We dropped it to 1650 the same day. This is after weeks of nothing. The same day we had two offers in. So never underestimate the importance of money. That's really important. There are three things that are important when you're renting your property. Presentation, promotion and price. Now, we've dealt with price. It's really important to hit one of those zero pricing bands. So if you're on the market, for instance, at 1200 and it's not going, drop it to 1150. Please don't drop it to 11.75. You'll fall between the bands and it doesn't do you any favors. But I would say look at monthly rents, not weekly rents, and make sure you hit one of those zero pricing bands that people can search on Rightmove and Zoopla so that you come up on page one of those searches if possible. That's the first thing. Second thing, so that's price dealt with, and that's really important, one of the most important things. But also presentation, you know, in this particular case, the flat that I was looking at needed softening. What do I mean by that? Well, it felt a bit clinical. Where the lady had moved out, um, instead of it being kind of like a homely, warm feel to it, especially in the wintertime, I find this happens, it felt harsh and industrial. And it was a beautiful flat, very clean, very sharp, very smart, but didn't have those soft touches that make the difference. What soft touches, I hear you ask? Things like fluffy, high-quality towels in the bathroom, maybe a striking color on one of them or a nice gray stripe through, um, some flowers, you know, something that pops. You know, we talk about that all the time. Like what you don't want that pops is a, a child's toy, for instance, in the corner that's just, you know, something that's messy. But what you do want that pops is perhaps a nice bunch of flowers or perhaps uh, – a sofa that's a different color. Perhaps it's um, some kitchen utensils. One of the things that always looks great is a bowl with some chopsticks in. Simple as that. You know, there are ways that you can make it feel homely and human. Think about that side of it. Really important, that presentation. Flowers in the kitchen, dining room. You want it light. You want it bright. Make sure you open all the curtains. Make sure the windows are clean. Make sure it smells nice. Use bleach in the bathrooms. Make sure that you run the taps because you need to for from the point of view of Legionella's anyway when the tenant moves in, but there's nothing more off-putting, and it often happens in my experience, than walking in and there's a nasty smell. You know, we always get there a bit early, run the water down the sinks, but really, ideally, you should have some electronic air fresheners sort of um, emanating at certain times, spraying at certain times, so that's out there for you. So that's it in terms of presentation. Think about how you can make it feel more homely and softer because tenants want to know how they can live there. If it's an unusual space or if it's particularly dark, make sure you light it well. Make sure that if you don't have a bright light fitting or you don't have some really powerful LED spots there, do it. You know, invest in the money so it looks as good as it possibly can. Really important to do that. And then in terms of promotion, really important that your agent is advertising the property in the right place as well. And in the right place, what does that mean? Well, right move and Zoopla 
are the biggest here in London by a long chalk. If you look on Hitwise, everything else is more or less insignificant. They need to be advertising on both Rightmove and Zoopla. And we've already spoken about making sure that when you do advertise in that way, you get it on one of those zero price points. And then you need to make sure that the agent is sharp enough to be responding to the inquiries that come through. And it's not just about getting everybody in the door. It's about vetting people, making sure they're the best person for the property. You know, we always ask the questions and your agent should be asking the question, what are your circumstances? circumstances, how many people, how many children, do you have any pets, what is your occupation, all these things build a picture of whether they're the sort of tenant that would be suitable for the particular property that you have. So I hope that's helpful. So if you're thinking of renting, think about price, pitching on a zero price point, presentation, really important, not clinical, softer, and promotion, make sure that you've got a good agent that's going to be proactive, uh, discussing the requirements of the tenant and listening to their circumstances so that you get the very best possible tenant. Homeworkers are retreating to their sheds more and more about luxury sheds now. It seems that this is something that's happening more and more and it's bound to happen, isn't it? The amount of people that I see now that are using their sheds or perhaps bedroom three as a home office now is incredible. And quite often where they're overstretched, they're doing it on the kitchen table too. And sometimes you just don't need to be told why people are moving when you walk in and there's three laptops on the breakfast bar. <laughs> you can see that it's a real struggle for them to work together. And this is changing the habits of people. You know, People are now looking at places and they're seeing it in a different light completely. So that's it for this week's edition. And I hope you've enjoyed it. Hope you have a fantastic week. We'll be back next week for another edition of the podcast. And for this week, stay safe and well. Have a fantastic week.